0: everybody to Wooden Sticks. This is a brand new project for me. My name is Kevin Gorg. It's my 18th season covering the Minnesota Wild with Bally Sports North. And because I'm nearly 57, in fact, I'll celebrate my birthday next week in beautiful Winnipeg with the Minnesota Wild. That takes me back to a time when I started hockey in the, uh, well, let's say mid-70s. And when we played hockey in the 70s, kids, we played with Wooden Sticks. That's what we're talking about. And Early on, when I played, uh, let's go back to might Hockey, mid-70s, I decided I wanted to be a goalie. Right off the hop, that was the position I wanted to play, and there was a goalie on the Chicago Blackhawks who was probably the most popular goalie in the league at that time. His name was Tony Esposito, and I was a left-handed goalie. And so I migrated to Tony Esposito as kind of my first role model mentor at the position, and he was one of the few left-handed goalies in the National Hockey League. And he had this Northland goaltending stick that I had to have. And I look at parents these days, and, and these sticks are three, four hundred dollars. And I'll never forget it. This Northland goalie stick that Tonio uh would would use was a $20 stick. And back in 1975, $20 was a lot of money for a hockey stick. And so I had to shovel a lot of driveways to get that $20 to have that Northland goalie stick. And it was heavy lumber. I'm telling you, those things did not break, especially when you're playing youth hockey and those kids don't really shoot the puck that hard. So that Northland hockey stick was something I treasured. My backup stick was not nearly as nice. So that was kind of saved for special games uh, and special times. And so, yeah, the Northland uh, stick is kind of where we came up with the idea. Wooden sticks. We're going to try to connect with former players and coaches with connections to Minnesota hockey. We're going to have some fun looking back at maybe when some of these folks played the game when they first came to hockey, what they used for their sticks. And we're going to have some fun telling old stories, talking about uh, the game we love so much, really looking forward to it. My story did begin in Burnsville where I grew up and uh, end up playing youth hockey in the Burnsville organization back when Burnsville was bustling. Right now, Burnsville doesn't have a team. We're combined with our arch rivals uh, from Apple Valley. And so back in the uh, Late 70s, early 80s, Burnsville was growing and the numbers were immense. And by the time I got to be uh, a squirt and then a peewee, we were winning a lot of hockey games. And for a young goalie like myself, uh, knowing there were 10 to 12 to 14 goalies at tryouts every year, it was just great to make a team. So my first year in, in peewees, I was on the B team. My second year, I was lucky enough to be on the A team. And that trend continued into Bantams. And by the time you get to Bantam hockey in the state of Minnesota, you start to get a window into where your team is at, what you might be if you stay together with your buddies and play all the way through high school. And my second year of Bantams on the A-Bantam team, we went to the state championship game, and we had a really good team. We got beat in that championship game by Park of Cottage Grove. Now, for a lot of reasons, Park Cottage Grove never, ever put it all together uh, at the high school level. But come Bantam time, they were amazing. In fact, they beat us all five times we played that year. I think we only lost six games the entire year. And back in in the uh, early 80s in Bantam Hockey, you played 50, 60, 70 games. So the fact that they beat us uh, five times and we only lost six or seven games tells you just how good they were. But we lost in that championship game and we walked out of that rink knowing we were good enough. If we kept working and we stayed together, uh, then maybe in a couple of years, we could put this thing back together. And lucky enough, we did. 1985, uh, lucky enough to go to the state tournament as a senior starting goaltender played for the legendary coach Tom Osiki at Burnsville, and we had a chance against Hill Murray in that championship game to win the game. We had some amazing players on our hockey team. Donnie Granato uh, scored a huge winning goal in our section final game, which back in those days was played at the Old Met Center, which was the North Stars' home rink where the Mall of America is now. Donnie's the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres, scored a goal with under a minute to go for us to beat a really good Rochester John Marshall team that included Sean Podine, who would go on to win Multiple cups with the Colorado Avalanche, and then in that state championship uh, run, we had we beat a really good team from Bemidji in the first round that featured George Palawa, a uh, terrific player, and and then in that semifinal matchup against Jefferson, beat one of Tom Satterdell's better teams before we eventually beat Terry Skrypek and Hill Murray in that final. After high school hockey in Burnsville, I played a year of junior hockey in 1986 in the USHL for the Des Moines Buccaneers. Our head coach was Jim Wiley. Um, Jim would go on to coach the San Jose Sharks later in life, tragically passed away here a couple of years ago, right after COVID. So, uh, Jim Wiley was a, a wonderful guy to play for in Des Moines and then had the chance to play college hockey at St. Thomas. After college hockey, I wanted to be a coach. I coached boys high school hockey at both Burnsville and Moundsview for a total of five years, became the first ever college coach for the women's program at St. Thomas in 1998, coached for a decade with the women at St. Thomas. And then in the meantime, while I was coaching, I, I did start my broadcasting career out of Canterbury Park at the racetrack. As their analyst, I've been out there now for 24 years, and that was in the year 2000. Kind of gave me a a step into the, uh, a dip the toe into the water, so to speak, to get ready for broadcasting and did some high school hockey, uh, both on TV and radio with my now uh, good friend, Anthony LaPanta. And then uh, in 2006, LaPanta came calling. They looked for a uh, part-time Hockey analyst at the time, and they they thought of me because I was coaching in town with the women's team at St. Thomas, and and got started in 06 and went full time. At that time, it was Fox Sports North in 2007, and as I mentioned, 18 years now on the beat with the Minnesota Wild. Really looking forward to this uh, this new endeavor. Looking forward to connecting with uh, some some great people in the game of hockey on both the men's and women's side. And what a time right now to be connected to both sides of the ledger because of the pro hockey. That is taking off with the pWHL on the women's side. And of course, if you live here in Minnesota, if you're not from here, but you know of us uh, and the hockey that that this state produces, we love this time of year. You get to this time of year. It's on the precipice of section playoff hockey for boys hockey, state tournaments for both the girls and the boys right around the corner. College hockey coming to a crescendo as we start to decide conference championships and then into uh, their tournament for the NCAA. and of course, On the NHL side, uh, you've got those playoff races, which are heated right now, teams jockeying to get in, teams jockeying to get into position. If you're a hockey fan, end of February, early March is a wonderful time of year, and it sets you up for the spring when it really gets to be uh, an exciting time. So we're going to have a ton of fun with this, really uh, excited about where this thing could go. And uh, today on our show, episode number one, uh, why not start at the top of the mountain? When I think of... um, mentors, friends, legends in the game, uh, that I've been lucky enough to work with and to be around Lou Nanny's at the top of that list. And this guy's been an institution in Minnesota for a long, long time, going back to his days playing, uh, at the university of Minnesota, obviously represented our country in the Olympics, and then really came into, to real fame and fortune with, uh, the North stars as a player, as a coach, as a general manager, and in broadcasting, uh, he's, he's the guy y'all try to measure up to. He is the goat for me, the greatest that we've ever had. And, and this year marks uh, year 60 for him at the boys state high school hockey tournament. Of course, he's worked with us over at Bally sports North for years. And when you hear his voice, it's iconic. Uh, it's just one of those voices that, that brings you back to the game you love for a lot of us, it brings you back to your childhood. And if you could measure up to Lou Nanny's uh, critique when he was on the broadcast and I was, Again, lucky enough to play in a state tournament where Lou Nanny uh, was the analyst. Chris, Chris Cuthbert in 1985 was the play-by-play guy. He's a tremendous uh, anchor of uh, hockey north of the border on the national side for Hockey Night in Canada for years. He and Lou Nanny called our games in the 85 state tournament. So when I go back and watch those DVDs, it takes me back to a special place. But Lou Nanny is, uh, is this year going to hang it up. This is going to be it. Uh, 60 years in this uh, business of calling State High School Hockey Tournament games. So we're going to dive into, you know, what got him into it in the first place because he's not from here. He didn't know about the history of the Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament until he arrived as a member of the uh, North Stars organization and, and the Golden Gophers College program. So to to me, he's he's an import, yes, but he's become one of us and he's become an institution. And so I can't wait to hear Louis' thoughts on what has made that tournament so special, some of his favorite memories, and then the bittersweet end that this is going to produce. We're just a couple weeks away from this year's edition of that state tournament, his final on the microphone. So thank you for for finding us. Looking forward to many, many uh, great shows ahead. And like I said, we're going to start at the top with Lou Nanny, legendary voice of the boys' state high school hockey All right, we're back on Wooden Sticks, episode number one. As I mentioned, going into the break, might as well start at the top of the mountain. Looking forward to this conversation with the great Lou Nanny. At the end of this conversation, we're going to play Hat Trick Hot Seat. We're going to give Lou Nanny three questions, hockey-related that I'm sure he'll hammer right out of the park. Louie, first off, it's great to connect with you again and and really appreciate you joining the pod today.
1: Well, Kevin, I'm happy to do that, and I love the name Wooden Sticks. That's really clever, very creative.
0: well, take us back to your first stick. I was just telling the story in our intro about my Northland goalie stick that I, uh, that I found looking at Tony Esposito, the, the longtime goalie for the Blackhawks, one of the few left-handed goalies in the league at that time. And I just migrated to that Northland goalie stick. What was your first stick in the game?
1: I believe it was a Northland, but I also, at that time, growing up in Ontario, we had two other sticks. We used quite a bit and, uh, it was Hespler and, and Sherbrooke, but, uh, I used Northland most of the time when I was a kid, and I really, you know, come to be quite uh, fond of that stick. I liked it better, maybe because I just like the name. It's funny because certain things attract you to a stick. In those days, there were no curve, obviously, so they were all straight sticks. But uh, I think the name played a big part of it, and Northland was, as you know, very popular from uh, a long time ago to – Currently, it's, uh, I don't see them anymore because they were wooden sticks, but they're all composites. But uh, for most of my career, I used Northland's till I switched to Christian. When Christian Brothers came up with a hockey stick, of uh, wore and wooden stem, Mikita and I went there and got the stick, and uh, we were the first ones to use in the NHL.
0: How much of a disadvantage do you think it was shooting the puck, passing the puck, making plays with said puck, having a straight blade compared to what they play with now? <laughs>
1: Kevin that's a good question it's something that I never really focused on and and when I think about it I, I don't think of any disadvantage although I'm sure that uh, shooting the puck has to be a, a great deal of difference with a curve and with a composite stick uh, my stick was so so big so thick I, I A sturdy stick and Craig Patrick used to, I mean Craig Cameron used to grab my stick in between periods See, I, I got to loosen up. I have to do some weightlifting and be lifting my stick over over his head. I think Kent Douglas was the only guy in the league that had a thicker stick than I did at that
0: time. I just remember how heavy everything was. Uh, you know, that goalie stick that I started with, I've still got a few of my wooden sticks back at my parents' house in storage. And when I compare them to the sticks that the guys use in goal now, it's just tremendously heavier product back then. And I don't know if it's good or bad because – for me as a young goalie, I probably didn't have the chance to lift my stick off the ice because I probably couldn't <laughs> do it. And I think for you guys as players, right? I mean, you're taught to have that stick on the ice ready to pass or shoot or make a play. Maybe the heavy stick helped us.
1: Maybe it did. I, I know one thing. I, I, I'm i sure that you could shoot a backhand shot off a street stick better than the curved ones you have today. But but I do think that, uh, you know, they have an advantage in shooting. Although I, I felt... I could slap a puck pretty well with the with the stick I use. I don't know if I could slap it any better with the one they have today.
0: Well, now we we segue into the state tournament talk, and and for me, this is a really special time of year. You just finish up this week with the regular season games on the boys' side, and for you, I'm sure it's bittersweet, Louis. This is year 60, which is unbelievable. It's an accomplishment that I don't think will ever be touched. But are are you starting to get excited? Are you starting to? Feel a little bit sad that this is the last one. Where are you at emotionally as you prepare for this one in a couple of weeks?
1: I'm starting to get excited to get it uh, get it over with. <laughs> I'm uh, I, I'm a little sad that I'm not going to be doing it anymore, but uh, you know, from six years ago when I started to now, it's just amazing how fast time's gone by. And I just think it's an appropriate time, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it uh, being the the last one, and I. I know it's going to be tough being the last one, but it's something that I'm very comfortable with.
0: And you were an import, so you didn't grow up with the state tournament. When, when did it click for you when you came to Minnesota back in the day, whether it was your college days or your pro days, that this was something sacred, something special, and maybe something you wanted to be a part of?
1: Well, not originally because when I came down in 1959, uh, I, I was recruited from Ontario. I, I didn't even know where Minnesota was I go in the dormitory and I'm getting introduced to these other players, and and one guy's he's all state and he's all state, and I I don't know what all state means. I have no idea. In fact, I met so many all state guys. I said, "What am I doing here? How am I going to be able to make this team if it's supposed to be something good?" You know. And then I went to see the tournament, and at that time it wasn't very good. The talent was really thin. You might have one real good line and two real good defensemen. They'd only play two lines and maybe three defensemen when the periods were 12 minutes long and so it wasn't something that looked very good. but then as I, I go watching the next three years, you know there'd be another player would be on the team and an extra good one, an extra good one. all of a sudden it started getting pretty good. I started broadcasting in 64. It was still it was still not really deep, but there were more good players. But then I want to say, oh, in the 70s, it seemed to take off where, where teams were having more players, you know, much more depth in the team. Ability was better, and the games were better. And it just, from then, it just grew and grew. And I really believe it was John Mariucci's uh, influence on the game. He, he worked tirelessly. Kevin, I have to tell you, probably 70 speeches a year all around the state trying to interest towns into building rinks and kids into playing hockey and get more and more, you know, good good teams and good good players from around the state. Because when I first came down here, all the all the hockey essentially was played up in northern Minnesota. There were a few good good teams like Saw St. Paul had a team, St. Paul Johnson, but the other high schools there weren't that many and they weren't that deep. And then the Dynast started to Michael started to uh, really develop a good program there in Edina, and they built a rink and I want to see it was sixty four or sixty five I believe it was sixty five because i I moved there because we had uh, three children at the time. We had a daughter who was a year old, and we had twin boys born, and I wanted a place where my kids could skate, and I heard they were building a rink in Edina, so we went and bought a house in Edina.
0: It's a good pick because. You know, as, as time would play its way out, Willard Eichel have built a dynasty. He became an iconic coach, and any, any kid that grew up playing in that hockey program every year had a chance to play for the very best.
1: Yeah, they were they were a, a super team down in Twin Cities, but at that time, you know, Larry Ross had a dynasty going hmm. up in International Falls, and that followed the one in Avaluth, and then uh, Duluth came on with some great, strong teams, and of course, you had Hibbing and Coleraine and towns like that. Uh, Grand Rapids had uh, excellent teams and excellent uh, players, and all won championships along the way.
0: Why do you think Louis the tournament has stood the test of time? Because the world has changed dramatically, and you're 60 years doing this. If you think back to where it was, even back in 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 the middle portion, and now where we are in in 2024, and the technology and girls playing more sports and games are different. And the the high school atmosphere has changed, but this tournament has remained a constant. It is still just as magical, just as special. Why do you believe that is?
1: I really think it's because of the passion of the people within the town. And I say that because I'm comparing hockey to basketball in Indiana, football in Texas, no matter where you go in those states that have great, high school programs, they have an unbelievable following. You go to Texas, they got stadiums, I understand, built for 50, 60,000 people for high school kids. And and Minnesota, fortunately for us, that really love hockey, had basketball and hockey. as great, great tournaments at the time. If you remember before when it was only one one uh, level tournament, basketball, you know, it was, you always know, talk about the David against Elias, just, just like you do in hockey but these towns the 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 people in the town that follow the game just are so invested in the game now you take eight teams now coming on a tournament and you got those eight towns invested in that game plus because of the excitement of the tournament the way these kids play how hard they play how consistently intense the games are and then the average fan that loves Hockey, and especially high school hockey, because they follow their own teams, they come to these games. And the the enthusiasm, intensity, the camaraderie, all these things in the building just build to a crescendo. And you have the high school bands. It's just, it's almost like a Hollywood theatrical play or even a Vegas production. How you, you get all these elements coming together in a, in the area, was 18,000 people either loving or hating the teams and really enjoying the way the kids compete. And, and you get a product that uh, I don't care who you are, what you are, you can't help but be interested and excited about watching it.
0: I think a lot of fans, I mean, they've, they've watched you for years. You've become a big part of the experience of the state tournament. But I think people forget that you were just a hockey dad in the mid 80s and and you still had to be a broadcast professional sit in that chair put those headphones on do your job to the best of your ability having the emotions swirling around of watching your child live out his hockey dreams you know marty played for adina was a star player i grew up playing against him what was that experience like louis to to be a hockey dad but also have to have that headset on and and be a broadcast professional
1: Kevin, you're so correct. And what experience is that like? Oh. I've had the good fortune of broadcasting Stanley Cup Finals for Hockey Night in Canada, Stanley Cup Finals for CBS in the U.S., uh, the first broadcast for ESPN in the Hockey Championships. Remember Duluth and Bowling Green? I've had, I've done the Olympics for ABC, and I've been doing this. You know, I started 60 years ago, and of all the different. Challenges I've had in broadcasting and opportunities I've had. Nothing comes close to trying to broadcast your son. And then I had my two of my grandsons, Louie and Tyler, all three competed in the state championship and all winning state championships, but doing their games to try and, as you say, keep it professional. <clears throat> Don't show any, uh, my part, it, I felt, I shouldn't show any emotion keep concentrating on the game and not watching what your kid or grandson's doing in the other part of the ice and delivering the the, the broadcast in in the proper professional way I'm telling you there's nothing as tough as that doing for family uh, you might seem on the outside that you're calm and collected the inside your stomach's churning I, I can't tell you the feeling I couldn't wait for those games to be over. <laughs> Just really, really uh, was suffering inside watching the game, without being able to react or you know, in a in a good or bad way. It it just something it was very difficult.
0: And I got a little taste of it just watching you broadcast with the Wild this year with your grandson Vinny uh, playing for Minnesota. And, And to your credit, you're able to somehow compartmentalize these things because, you know, there were, there was some emotion. He scored that goal in the game on Long Island, but throughout the process, I watched you in the locker room. I watched you on the air, on the team bus. You're still a professional. You still do the job the way you're supposed to do it. And I think that's a real, a real skill. And I'm, I'm sure it's not easy, but like you said, I think, you know, when you can make it through a state tournament, watching your kid or or your grandkids do that, I think that probably sets you up for success now watching your grandson play in the NHL.
1: You're right and I appreciate that Kevin, but I will tell you this. I am extremely happy and uh thankful that I got the opportunity to do that. That's really a unique <laughs> yes. unique experience, uh, you know. I, I you couldn't when 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 Vinny scored, someone asked me after the game, "What was that like?" I said, "Well, I was living the dream." You dream that and then you get to experience that. That's not something that is usually happening to many people, if any. And so uh, it, it was ironic. It was odd. It was different. It was exciting and uh, truly pleasurable. Uh, that when when Vinny scored that goal, just having him called up when I was broadcasting the game was very, very fortunate for me because I, I do, you know, five, six games a year for the Wild. And he happened to be called up for that game and he scores a goal. You, you can't write a script better now. It's just those things just don't happen to people usually. And so I'm extremely happy about it,
0: and I, I was there and and hearing the whole team on the bench chanting Lou as he came back for his flyby after the goal, and then being able to interview him in the post game and seeing the emotion that he had, um, knowing that that moment was something that was so special for your family. to me, Louie, that's that's the magic of what we do, right? We go into work every day to broadcast a game, and we have no idea what's going to happen. And sometimes you're not prepared for it, but it takes your breath away some nights, and that night was one of those nights for me too.
1: Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's the ones you dream about. That's the ones that you think, wouldn't it be nice if they happened? And when they happen, you, you just sit there and pinch yourself because I can't believe it happened.
0: Right now in broadcasting, I would say from the play-by-play side, Jim Nance is probably the biggest name March Madness, all the big golf tournaments, including the Masters. He just got done doing the Super Bowl. But back when I was a kid, it was Howard Cosell. That was the one name, the one guy, and for you youngsters coming to this Wooden Sticks podcast, Google Howard Cosell, YouTube him, watch some of the stuff. This guy was bigger than life. And, Louie, I think people forget this state tournament, you're 60 this year for you, uh, this state tournament got big enough where Howard Cosell was a part of the broadcast at the St. Paul Civic Center. How did that happen?
1: Well, that was KSTP. You know, he was doing football on the channel that KSTP had, so they were able to work an agreement out with him to come. And uh, that was a, you know, a very fortunate thing for the state of hockey, getting that exposure, and uh, thankfully for KSTP that they could do that. Yeah, you know, you might forget, too, another thing that was really, really special. Sports Illustrated came in and had a multiple-page story. Mm-hmm. The state. And Sports Illustrated at that time was an unbelievable magazine with a huge circulation. So the exposure there, and, and I, I can't recall the story completely, but I think that either they compared it in that story or afterwards to the – Indiana Hoosier basketball. And, and remember Gene Hackman came out with a movie about uh, basketball in Indiana high school at that time. And I forget the name of the title, but Hoosiers, Hoosiers, right. And that was, you know, widely acclaimed throughout the country. And that's why after that, then, then you got this uh, story by Sports Illustrated that raised the profile of Minnesota hockey throughout the country.
0: I don't want to put you on the spot and I I guess I've never asked anybody this question and anyone that's gone back and watched the state tournaments of old at the civic center or even fighting saints highlights, the clear boards. I I, I don't understand why I've never found this out because I've been such a fan of this tournament, but, but Louie, the clear boards, why that rank? Why for so long and why no other rank with the clear boards? And for people that don't know, I'm talking top to bottom glass if you're a fan you can see right through them there's no advertisements it's just clear
1: i i have to tell you i don't know why they even got them in the first place and i think it was to differentiate themselves from the minnesota north stars and they had the new ring being built because wha was was coming in there and they put clear boards on it i think just to be different and and they thought that it would be something that was going to catch on because then fans could see right through the, the glass to see the, the the pucks on the ice, et cetera. But what they weren't thinking about because it hadn't come yet was one of the big revenue <laughs> sources for the NHL was going to be advertising on the boards. And we were, the North Stars, we were the first ones to do it years after those clear boards came in. And that's probably one of the big reasons why you won't have clear boards anywhere else in the country, because you'd be losing a lot of revenue from the advertising on the boards during the game. And I, I want to tell you, I don't, I wasn't a big fan of them. And I don't (laughs) think that, uh, you know, uh, many hockey players would be one of the things. It probably didn't affect you, but you have to, your peripheral vision when you're playing the game, you you, Side to side, you have to know where you are and uh, where people are, where, where the checkers are, but also where the boards are. And I personally do think that you pick up a solid board quicker than you pick up the glass, you know, and for, for sure. where we're in position to the board. So I, I don't see any benefit to having those, and I think that's why when they build the XL, and, and I, I do believe it's, they might have even taken, yeah, when they build the XL, they... They put those in. And I I can tell you this, Kevin. (laughs) We had the NHL when they were looking for an expansion franchise. We had the NHL come in, John Ziegler, and he came in with Bill Wirtz, Mike Illich, and uh, Eddie uh, Snyder. And the committee came in to look at St. Paul as uh, one of the choices that they could make. They hadn't. He hadn't selected St. Paul yet. And Jack Sperling invited me over, and Nigley was going to be the lead investor, and they needed more investors. <clears throat> but we we had a meeting at the St. Paul Hotel after we went through the rink, And while the guys were discussing, you know, the feasibility of getting the franchise there, I was talking to Bill Wirtz, who was a very good friend of mine, and Mike Gillich. And I remember the first thing they said, Louie, we're not coming here with this crazy ring clear boards. That's ridiculous. We, we're we never coming on this rink. They're going to have to get a new rink for us to, to come here. And I, I said, wait a minute. So I walked over to Norm Coleman and Norm was really the lead guy that got the franchise there because he was mayor of St. Paul and he was driving the, the proposal. And I said to Norm, Wurtz and, and, uh, and Illich said, they're never coming here with this rink. And, and uh, he said, wait a minute, let's go back there. He went back there. I, I can remember like yesterday, and he said to Wirt, I understand you don't like this rink, but if we get a, a new rink, we have your support? And Wirt says, yes. And and it was Norm says, then you're getting a new rink. Just like that. I mean, Norm Coleman, he just did a marvelous job of, of you know, getting the state and the city, the whole community behind it to get a new rink. And one of the reasons why they weren't going to play in that z ball Civic Center with the glass boards at that time.
0: The boards were legendary, and I think through the years there's been some legendary teams. I think back, uh, watching Tom Satterdall and his Jefferson Jaguars, specifically in the early to mid-90s when they had that unbelievable roster. For you, Louis, as you handicap the years that you've done the tournament, give me the best player and the best team you've ever watched.
1: Well... I can't give you the best player because there's so many good ones in me. One of the toughest things to do is say the best player, but then when you try and pick the best player, you have to say who were they playing against at that time because the caliber is so different from decade to decade, even year to year, that they might not have been able to compete like that. So I've seen so much good stuff. I've seen so many good players. That Jefferson team you're talking about, that was – one of the best teams I've ever seen. That, that They were deep. They were talented. Uh, they had a great run. And uh, International Falls, in their time, early on there, they had deep teams. Edina had a couple of runs there with really good teams. Uh, Eden Prairie, you know, when when Rao was there, when they finally came on, they had some good teams. Grand Rapids had good teams. I, I, I can't pick one. And uh, when, when you look at the kind of competition I've seen over all those years, I'd be doing a disservice in trying to select one because they all run together. I, you know, I, I've seen so many dominant players in, in the tournament, and and guys that the little things that stick out in my mind. I'll tell you two of them: uh, uh, Matt Hendrickson playing at Blaine when he had an unbelievable tournament, and <laughs> Ryan McDonough at Creighton. They both win st- championship tournaments, and the and, and reason why they stick out in my mind because I'm, you know, I'm, of course, so tied in with the university, first thing I think of after we got to get these kids to play there. And I always go down to the locker room after to talk to the coaches, and uh, I remember asking both instances, where are they going to school? And Matt was going to North Dakota, and then uh, – Ryan had just made up his mind to go to Wisconsin. I, I mean, I was, I know in, in Ryan's case, the guy, Jim O'Neill said, well, they, you didn't come after him. He's going to Wisconsin. I got up early and called Lucian and says, what are you doing? you got to get this guy. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I, So there, there's cases like that, you know, how well they played. How's he as a high school kid? He comes out of the state tournament and goes play with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Neil and Aaron Broughton and Butsy Erickson, they were no bigger than a little tyke and just flying around the rink and dominating. I, you know, I, I, I've i seen so many kids like the Grand Rapids when Billy Baker's team's up there and Casey in the net. I, I, and I remember that, you know, uh, Lou, Lou Lamarillo was coaching Providence before he turned, uh, went into the pros. And he used to watch the games on satellite. And he called me and say, "Who do I get?" And I, and I told him, you, "You get the second best after Minnesota." I said, you know, I'm not telling you any Minnesota kids to get." So I, a couple of the kids at Grand Rapids. I said, "You got to get these guys. You got to get these guys." And I I've seen so many good players over the years. That I'm I'm not going to even attempt to say who's the best. You know, Boucher was. Dominating at the time when he was there, of course, the, <clears throat> he almost would play this, the whole game, but the game wasn't as long. That's what—that's why what I'm saying, you know, game in 12 minutes rather than 17 or periods, and so the game wasn't as long overall. But uh, there, there were, you know, just so many different good performances that they are being just to say which one's the best.
0: Final thing I'll get to before we uh, try our little hat trick hot seat at the end is I think the tournament takes on a whole different feeling when there's a potential dynasty or undefeated team. And Minnetonka last night um, won their final regular season game at Eden Prairie 6-0. They're 23-0-2. They're coached by Bill Goldsworthy's kid, uh, Sean. And they look like a team that's set up to repeat. They've got a really tough section, Louis, to get through. But if is able to get there, they're a special hockey team. Every game they play here in the Twin Cities is sold out. People are buying tickets the day before. It takes me back to the mid eighties when I was a player. How much does that enhance the enjoyment for you when you're broadcasting state tournaments over the years where they have teams like this Minnetonka team trying to repeat undefeated with all the storylines that go along with it?
1: I, I love it. I, I I grew up with Sault Ste Marie and and we had our teams, we'd never lose. And uh and used to upset me when we go play teams out, you know, say for the All Ontario or something. And the visiting team would come in, and we'd have four thousand people there, and thirty five hundred were cheering against us because we won all the time, and they were our own fans. So I always like to see the best teams win because I feel that you know I I felt that it was really injustice. People would cheer against us because we were good, our own fans, and and uh, and I do think that it's somewhat just when you're the best team all year that you should get to the, you should get to the final. Yeah. I know upsets are fun. They're exciting and they're probably more entertaining than the top teams winning. But when you play a schedule that long and that tough, I really feel that I, I'd like to see you play your best. So you deserve to be where you are at the end. You know, it, uh, the most questioned thing that ever happened to me in the, NHL was uh, the year after we went to the finals. We got upset by Chicago that we had beat out by forty points during the regular season, and, and in the playoffs, uh, we dominated the games and we and goaltending goal beat us. I mean, to me, it was so unfair, <laughs> and I still haven't been able to outlive that.
0: I remember it vividly, and it 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 really hurt. I, you know, you had that momentum built up, you had that great run, and then just to have that thud. The next year. So we're going to segue now, Louie, get you on your way. I really appreciate your time on show number one here on wooden sticks. This is going to be a a tradition at the end of the segment with each guest throughout the, uh, the course of these shows. It's called the hat trick hot seat. There's no wrong question. Just top of the head. Want to get your feelings. And the first question on the hot seat is your all time favorite hockey movie. What is it?
1: Well, I guess it's like everybody's slap shot. (laughs) You know, it's, (laughs) I thought it was so funny. I, I, I just enjoyed it so much. And, and I had a tie-in with some of the players, so it, it, it was special.
0: And that one does hold up. I, is As crazy as it sounds, because this is a movie now that's, what, almost 50 years old, still, yeah. it still holds up. Like the kids of today still find their way to enjoying that movie.
1: Yeah, I couldn't understand why. <laughs> it is entertaining. It, and it was true life. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was something.
0: How about uh, your very first hockey hero? Who was it?
1: Gordie Howe.
0: Oh, great pick.
1: Forever. He's my favorite.
0: Isn't that funny? Because, you know, Gordie Howe uh, ended up having an influence on a lot of people, but including Wayne Gretzky. For, For those of us that are in our 50s now, we didn't get a real chance to see Gordie Howe until the very, very end. But yet Wayne Gretzky talks about how Gordie Howe will always be the greatest player in the history of the game. That's that means something when you hear people like Wayne Gretzky make that statement.
1: And when I was eight, nine years old, Detroit Red Wings used to practice the preseason training camp was I was always in Puller Stadium in Sioux, Michigan. And I used to take the ferry boat across and go and watch him practice and see Gordie Howe. I listened to every game on the radio, every Detroit Red Wing game. El Nagler used to do the broadcast too. Stroh's beer was the advertiser. (laughs) I'll never forget those nights. (laughs) Wouldn't fall asleep till the game was over. Loved it.
0: I can't imagine for this next question, the database that I'm dealing with asking you this question, but every guest is going to get it. So I've got to throw it out there. So the final question on the hat trick hot seat, question number three, the best hockey game that you ever attended or watched was which?
1: Well, it was the summit series uh, in Russia, you know, the Canada and Russia. Uh, I, 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 I still marvel at that. I wish I had to film the Wally games. And the last one was played in Russia. I was playing for the Minnesota North Stars. We were playing an exhibition game in bank in Victoria, uh, British Columbia. And we had lunch at High's, uh, restaurant. They opened it up for us to have our pregame meal. And the game was on TV. And, uh, that was just unbelievable that, uh, that Summit Series, if you can ever get the film of those eight games, it is by far the best series of hockey I think you'll
0: ever see. And that was superstars on both sides of the ledger. I mean, that that was, I think of the Summit Series, I think of the best of the best that the game had to offer at that time.
1: You know, it was funny, Kevin. Uh, that was 72, and uh, Phyllis was, you know, had a hockey school in St. Marine. He said, you got to come work to school. I said, provided you come back. and. We'll do one in richfield minnesota which we did so i went up there for the hockey school And when i got there and tony was complaining it was you know, oh i just got a call i got to go to a training camp now in august we're going to play the Russians. i don't want to do that and phil says yeah what a waste of time and tony's we're going to kill him i said you guys are in for a rude awakening i said i've been playing these guys since 1960 you don't know what you're up against and and uh, they thought oh we're, we'll kill him." well as you know, they they lost in Montreal and then they, I think they, they won in Toronto and they went to, Va- to Winnipeg next. I flew up to Winnipeg for the game and tied, tied. Games tied. After the game, Phil and Tony and I go out and I says, now, wise guys, now what do you tell me of how, how you're going to kill these guys? How easy they were. I'll never forget that.
0: I'm sure it was an eye opener for some of the legends of the game over here to say, wait a minute here. You know, we're not alone. I, I think that was the thing that, you know, kind of the precursor before the miracle on ice in 1980, like people, the lens changed as time went by. And I think looking back at, you know, you're talking about 1972, that's right on the precipice of kind of the heyday of that, that, that time, uh, European hockey.
1: Yeah. See the Olympic, uh, victory was tremendous and it was a surprise and it was a, a great game, but, uh, for a series that summit series for eight games was something that I thought was a, Greatest thing I've ever seen because you got the two best teams in the world, you know, uh, playing. We, you know, with the Olympic team, we wouldn't want to play the Russians eight times. No chance. But yeah. But but with the Summit Series, when you got the best players in the world, as you said, on both sides, for for watching that kind of skill, it was amazing that the skill in that game. These guys now were at the top of their their. Their, you know, skilled base and, and being able to play. They were young enough, fast enough, good enough, and and there was the uh, best of Russia had so many great players then, and uh, that no one knew about in the world at that time. You know, they 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 were dominating the international scene, but no one had heard of them, and especially the NHL guys. Now the, there there was no none of these guys had ever played against the Russians. Before we we played against them in college, but and and maybe world championships, but the, the world championships then were always taken in Canada by a senior team, and and so these guys in the NHL never had that experience. That's what made it so interesting for eight games long.
0: Awesome stuff on the hat trick. Hot see with Lou Nanny, Lou. I want to wish you the best of luck. I went a little long. I could talk to you for hours. I know you've got a tea time today, so I've got to oh, be efficient. But really looking forward to your number 60 with you uh, calling the state tournament the last time we get to hear the iconic voice in the booth. So just soak it up, enjoy it. um, And and you've earned the chance to walk off at the top of your game. You're still right there and, and just really thankful we had a chance to visit today.
1: Well, Kevin, it's my pleasure and good luck with the podcast. I know it's going to be tremendously interesting and exciting for all the hockey fans. And congratulations to you.
0: Thank you, Louis. We're back on episode one of Wooden Sticks with Kevin Gorg, and I uh, really enjoyed that conversation with uh, the great Lou Nanny. If you're listening now and, and you want to be a part of the show or you know of somebody that wants to be a part of Wooden Sticks, I'm going to reference you to Karen Cleary. Just email her at kcleary, C-L-E-A-R-Y, at talknorth.com. You can be a part of the show. We're looking forward to some fantastic guests throughout the uh, the year here on wooden sticks and just, you know, talking to Louie and thinking about the state tournament, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that's going to turn 57 next week. And, you know, for me, you know, some kids growing up, it was your birthday. It was Christmas. It was the first day of summer vacation. There were certain things that were your favorite time of year. For me, it was the state tournament. It started at an early age. I want to say by age six or seven, I identified uh, downtown St. Paul on that weekend as my very favorite weekend of the year. And so the deal I made with my parents, I was not naturally a very gifted academic student. You'll be surprised by that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, the deal was if I if I held my own in school, if I did my best, stayed out of trouble, that on the Thursday of the the boy state tournament, my dad would pick me up pick me up at school. I have an excused absence to leave around ten o'clock in the morning, and we'd head down to St. Paul. We'd spend the afternoon watching the first two games, and then in between, we'd go to an old bar in St. Paul called Gallivan's. If, if you're Somebody that grew up on the east side, you probably remember that spot. It was a terrific spot. We'd have dinner there. My dad was a uh, local golf pro down at Fairbow, So in between games, we always connected with his golf cronies. Then we came back for the evening sessions. And that was every single year that Thursday. And so for me, that was my Christmas. That was my birthday. That was my everything. And so at a young age, I really started to identify with the state tournament as kind of the the pinnacle of my year. And so when I started playing hockey, and, and as I mentioned earlier, at the top of the show, you know, Burnsville was really growing at that time. We had a bunch of people in our hockey program. We had a great coach in Tom Osiki, And so you could kind of put it all together. Like if we kept this thing going, if we stayed together and, and kept doing our thing, that we might have a chance to play in that tournament. And then that unbelievable run that Burnsville had in the mid-80s. My sophomore year was 1983, and I made the, the junior varsity, which at the time was a big deal because back in the 80s at Burnsville, there were over 100 kids that came out to tryouts. There were 10 to 15 goalies that tried out. And there were four positions available, two on the JV and two on the varsity. So sophomore year, if you made the junior varsity, you were basically in line to be at least the backup on the varsity your junior year. And likely if you kept playing well, you'd be the starter by the time you were a senior. And that's kind of how the pecking order went. So I made that junior varsity in 1983. And in game number three, I broke my collarbone. It was a bad break. And back then, collarbones were different than they are today. Things have changed a little bit. And I missed most of that entire season. One of the kids they cut that year was called back uh, to take my spot on the junior varsity. He was a year older than me, ended up playing varsity that junior year, where I came back my junior year and played on the JV. Ended up being a blessing because I got to play every game. We had a really good team. A lot of the guys on that JV ended up being the core of young players on our team in 1985. And by the time we got to 85, as I mentioned, um we had all played together for all those years and had all that success at the Pee Wee level at the bantam level and you know wouldn't you know it by the time we got to be seniors we were highly ranked and had a really good club and and i was more of a passenger than a than a superstar i was a pretty middle of the road goaltender but when you played on those teams as long as you didn't screw it up you had a pretty good run and we ended up being a team that lost one game all season and got a chance to play in that state championship and it's something i'll never forget and talking to louie brings me back to all those tournaments because when you do something for 60 years, that voice automatically puts you in that spot, whether it's as a fan or for me, it takes me back to that special time as a player. And I've had the, the blessing in my life to get to know Louis, to work with Louie over the years. And the passion that he has for hockey extends far beyond the TV camera or the microphone. If he's on a podcast or the radio, he lives it. He breathes it. He loves it. And going to dinner with Lou Nanny on the road covering the Minnesota Wild basically is just us listening to old stories and feeling that passion for the game. He absolutely loves the game of hockey, loves the people involved with it, and that comes out in the broadcast. And for me as a fan of the game, that enhances my enjoyment of the broadcast. So whenever Lou Nanny is going to be on, whether it's the state tournament or on local radio here in the Twin Cities, for me I have to listen because I always learn something. And I always feel that passion. So I am so thankful to my friend Lou Nanny for being the very first guest on Wooden Sticks. We're looking forward to some fantastic shows throughout the year. It'll be hard to top Lou Nanny at any point and wish him nothing but the very best as he gets ready to call his 60th consecutive Boy State tournament. Uh, gotta soak it up, gotta enjoy it. And uh, really just can't thank him enough for being a part of show number one. Can't thank you enough for being a part of our uh, vast listening audience. Looking forward to uh, finding great guests for you. You can ping me um, on social media, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Gorgomatic21. Slide into my DMs, as the uh, the kids say, and let me know of some guests that you'd like to have on the show. Former players, managers, coaches, anybody tied to Minnesota hockey, whether it's the Gophers, the Wild, the North Stars, we're gonna to try to touch all those bases. Men, women, doesn't matter. We're gonna have a great time doing this show. It's Wooden Sticks. It's on Talk North. I'm Kevin Gorg. And uh, when we talk to you next, we'll have Rachel Ramsey on episode number two. Thanks again to Lou Nanny. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, folks.